It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. In the name of God. Now I know what it feels like to be God. Oh, Andrea, are you ready for round three? Round three of wondering why it is that we're alive. Uh, why? Why? Why do we exist? What is the purpose of it all? And why do we have to? Is that not every day? It's not every... I mean, you're right. It's every day for us. But, I mean, three books back to back pretty much just talking about, like, the the, the troubles of existing. See, we had Secret Garden with, with a kid who didn't... Who, who, who was faking an illness and, and depressed with his father. Then we had last week with the bell jar of a woman who, who just had troubles, like, existing in, in the world. And now we have Frankenstein. A story of a creature who is sad he was even made. That's fair. So here we are once again, you know, trying to figure out what it, what it really means to, to, to be alive and, and exist. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know what to say to that. Um, no, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and it's interesting. We're going to get into the story, but... Mary Shelley had some, I think, pretty advanced for the time topic she was bringing up, which is always very fun to see an author do. But right. is this a good time to bring up the backstory of this novel? Might as well. Let's start it, Let's start it from the beginning. All right. So we've got Mary Shelley. She's traveling through Germany. Because, you know, back then you had, you had some means. All you did was travel and have engagements. That's, that sounds fun. But... They actually stopped near Frankenstein Castle, where there had been an alchemist who did experiments back in the day. And along this trip, her and her future husband, Percy Shelley, and Lord Byron decided to have a competition to see who could write the best horror story. And by all accounts, she fucking won. And she was only 18. So, good job. Did she write this entire story during that trip? Because what, what was it? Weren't they, like, in a house and it was storming and they had nothing else to do? I don't know about that. I know she she came up with the idea, like, after a couple of days of thinking about it. I don't know about how long it took her to write it, but okay, it's pretty sick. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty cool tale of, of one of the greatest horror stories that ended up, you know, influencing Wait. a lot of other horror stories. Wait, I'm sorry. I, I do know <laughs> this. Hold on. So it was actually... It was a volcanic winter because Mount Tambora had erupted in 1815. Yes. And they were okay. by Lake Geneva. Mm-hmm. And so they couldn't really go outside, so they were stuck inside. Yeah. And, yeah, that's why they came up with the whole writing up these horror stories, which, honestly, fucking great idea. I, 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 can we, like, you know, get a bunch of people? We all are in a house for for like two weeks or whatever and we have to write a story that sounds like a fun time i'm down with this and also what's interesting is so byron what he wrote he had been inspired by hearing vampire stories when he had traveled Mm -hmm. through the balkan and he basically wrote the vampire with a y and it kind of started the romantic vampire genre which is interesting oh lord byron (laughs) 
We can thank Lord Byron for Twilight. Oh. Oh, let's not say that. <laughs> uh, I guess for if people don't know what Frankenstein is, which I don't know where you've been living if you don't know what Frankenstein is. Frankenstein's about a, a scientist who decides he wants to basically be, be God of sorts and create a creature, but the creature is hideous, and the creature goes off and runs away and ends up killing people. And then uh, basically Frankenstein's trying to rectify the entire situation by finding the monster and killing his own creation. But the monster ends up finding him and telling him that he needs a bride because he's, he's super sad, super lonely, and he's been killing because he, he is pissed off at humans for not appreciating him and, and keeping him lonely. Because every time anyone sees them, they freak the fuck out and try to murder, murder his ass. But they can't because he's way stronger than everyone else. So it's basically uh, Victor is trying to, you know is basically a slave to his own creation and in the end doesn't want to make the bride because he doesn't want to create another creature like the one that he created because he fears it could make things worse. And uh, in the end, he get, gets killed by his own creation in the North Pole. So. Well, he doesn't... Well, here's what's interesting to me. Victor mm-hmm. is a very self-centered human. So... Oh, yeah. Yes, he does realize how he can reanimate dead things. So, you know, kudos to that, I guess. But what's funny is when Frankenstein's monster, who's never named, but when he tells him, I'm going to see you on your wedding night, he assumes, oh, he's going to kill me because if I won't give him a mate, he won't let me be happy. He doesn't even start to think maybe Elizabeth could be in trouble, which is, you know, bride-to-be. And then, of Mm -hmm. course, Frankenstein kills his bride and then kind of kind of kills Frankenstein through stress. Yes. Like, he, he kind of sends him into shock and he never recovers. But, um, yeah, he's an interesting character, that Frankenstein. You're telling me that someone who wants to be a god isn't, is self-centered? Who would have thought? That's right. I'm saying god is self-centered. Let's go. <laughs> uh. Oh, God, we're going to get some hateful emails from that. We'll see. <laughs> hey, we'll finally get emails. I know, right? <laughs> I'll take them. Let's debate. Anyways, uh, where do you want to where do you want to start off with us? Um, I mean, obviously, you know this story better than I. Um, I do think that I I read this as a kid, but I completely forgot about it because I remember being a kid and reading the very beginning when it's in the Arctic, and I'm like, what the fuck does this have to do with Frankenstein? Because I had seen the movie as a kid because I I think I saw it in middle school, and I was and I wanted to read the book afterwards, and I was like. This is this is so different. One thing that's interesting for me is that the novel is an epistle, epistological novel. So it's all told through letters. And I mean, of course, you know, there's that suspense of the sorry, the suspense of reality of like no one's going to write letters this long with like dialogue and stuff. But whatever, it works because I think it adds to the spookiness of it because your narrator is essentially a young man who decided to leave home and discover and explore parts of the Arctic. And there's that kind of early on scene where they see a large figure in a boat and they're like, how is this person surviving out here in a boat? And then they find Frankenstein later, who's, you Mm -hmm. know, dying. 
And he relays this whole story of how he created this monster. And we'll get into the movie, I guess, shortly. But I think a reason the novel is so scary and the movie doesn't quite capture it is at first, you know, he creates the monster and he's terrified of it. And then he's like ill for two weeks. And during that time, the monster disappears because the first thing he knew about, you know, upon being born and not knowing anything is his creators like freaked out by him and runs away. So he's kind of has to learn everything on his own. And so that's like the really fun part is when things start happening, not fun, I'm sorry, but the first victim is Frankenstein's younger brother who is found strangled. And Mm -hmm. it's great because you don't know for a long time for sure what it is, but you do kind of buy into his inkling that the monster's just picking people off in his life. And that element's really, yeah, it does a good job of being scary. Yeah, I like the the whole mystery of the monster. Like, I mean, really, even Frankenstein hadn't doesn't even see the monster until it appears at his doorstep one day. <laughs> so it's it's really cool um, how this large creature is quite aloof. And honestly, like when and and one dr- drastic change I I think between the the film and and the movie is in the I mean between the film and the book is the uh, the fact that the creature is actually very agile. Like, he's very swift and can yeah. swim and and is is more athletic than the average person. And in, in, the, in the film, you got a very clunky, big-booted monster because they needed him to be taller than, than everyone else, so they gave him platforms. It's a, I think that's a, a big change with the monster. Also, I mean, obviously, if we want to get into it now is... Another big change with the monster is the fact that the monster in the book can talk. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a lot of people don't un- un- know that uh, Frankenstein's monster has the ability to talk, and he's actually and he's very affluent and uh, very persuasive. And honestly, I'm not gonna lie; like his speech was probably my favorite part of the book. Yeah, he's um. It was great. That, sorry, that's all I had to add to that. No, you're good. You're good. I, I mean, like, uh, I, like, I, he just, like, kept talking about, like, it was so, like, his tragic tale of basically having to keep himself hidden and, and, like, he's super strong, but he doesn't want to really, he, he really doesn't want to hurt anyone. He doesn't even hurt animals. Like, he, he, he lives off of nuts and berries. And um, he, I think at one point, if I remember correctly, he, he even makes fun of humans for, you know, killing animals to survive. See, and that's one of those, like, pretty advanced for the time sort of ways of thinking is, like, you know, him saying, I don't want to kill living things to survive off them. I can just eat plants, mm-hmm. um, which was surprising. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if Shelley was sort of harpening back to, like, you know, Neanderthals and stuff like that, because I think, if I remember correctly, Neanderthals really lived off of nuts and berries and were larger than us Homo sapiens. And technically had larger brains, but, um, you know, we killed them off. Anyways. Um, History's just a, a collection of stories of people killing other people off, so. Oh, yeah. But it's also Mary Shelley, like, both of her parents are philosophers, which is why I think she was able to write such a profound book. She, from a young age, basically grew up with um, some heavy philosophy stuff. Yeah, uh, so you said this is the first time you've seen this film. Uh, what is your feelings on the film? 
So it's beautiful. Like I, the way stages were just built then and things like mm-hmm. that, it, it lends to, and like the amazing lighting they had, like even from yes. where they're drawing the, the sort of like top flap thing to let the light in for the monster to see sunlight. Cause they've kept him locked in a dungeon since he was reanimated. Yeah. Like just the technical parts of it are always really impressive to me from movies from back then. Um, mm-hmm. And like, the original Dracula and like Bella Lugosi where you can just see the light in his deranged eyes. Like there's just beautiful stuff that was done. One thing I heard and I didn't look up to confirm if this is true is that this is not so much based off the novel, but the plays that were made based off the novel. So that's why you've got differences. Mm -hmm. So this is more, more so this film is an adaption of an adaption. Yeah. Um, And I forget who the playwright was. She wrote it back in i think 1918 and then this was in 1931 the adaption of that play got it so like, i can see why things are different i will say it was less scary to me than people you know getting picked off by this monster you haven't like seen to confirm it's like you're just sus- suspecting you're responsible for everything and like there's that bit in the novel where after his little brother William dies the young girl that was with him gets charged for the murder and she Mm -hmm. gets sentenced and dies because of Frankenstein as well so there's like a lot of that I'm causing things to unravel yeah Justine yeah where she admits to the murder because she thought it would help her which I'm like girl you never do what the cops tell you to do Come well, on. but that's interesting, too. I mean, you've got a whole range of false confessions that police have gotten out of people in modern times, too. So maybe mm-hmm. she's making a dig at how messed up the justice system can also be. I don't know. At this point, Probably. I'm thinking Mary Shelley just was ragging on everything. Oh, and that's the other thing. The other thing I thought was pretty advanced for his time is a lot of times you see from novels back then and honestly, even modern day novels there's a bit of the halo effect running through it where pretty people are also nice and good people and she's sort of digging at that because everyone's assuming frankenstein's monster is evil because he's ugly but yes he's no more evil than victor is which is why i love that scene in the book where it's it's the monster and the old man and the mm-hmm. old man is like able to tell that the monster is a very caring person. He's like, he's like, I'm a blind old, poor old man, and but I can tell you are a good person. I I don't know what you look like. I don't know anything about you, but I can tell. And then unfortunately, the old man's son shows up and then shoots the monster. But um, which not gonna lie, and and uh, reading that the 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 monster speech of that whole thing. I want, I, I really like, and I might have to write it, but I want an adaption of Frankenstein. That's literally just about the monster, like going through all the, that stuff. Cause it was so interesting. Like how he had to, he, in order to learn a language, he, he would listen from afar as this, as this guy was teaching this young girl, um, how to, how to read and, and speak a certain language. And, um, how he, uh, I, I believe, like, it was at one point he was listening to music and, and stuff. Yeah. And it's just, it was just beautiful the way that Mary wrote about 
a creature coming to life and trying to understand what life is and its own existence and then dealing with uh, what we already talked about, the issues of people judging it based on its looks. So it, uh, I would love a, a complete adaption of specifically what what the monster went through like i i think that was it was it was fantastic to me yeah and like how he's having to learn names for all the sensations he's feeling he knows he feels mm-hmm. cold he discovers fire and is like oh shit this makes me feel warm and tries to touch it like it all is very commonsensical of like you'd have to learn everything and this was a really good portrayal of someone just kind of being booted up into the world as a as an adult with no knowledge of anything. Mm-hmm. So I am sad we missed that in the movie and like him with the family. Like I understand again, this is an hour and 10 minute movie, which, you know, as you said, for the times, that's about the running time they had. But yeah, some of the changes, I, I don't know. Like my biggest gripe is at the start, we're starting off and we're grave digging and we're stealing <laughs> corpses and like it was a pretty it was fun but i hated the part where they're going into the medical college and stealing a brain and then the associate picks the criminal brain like oh it's going to be bad now you picked a criminal brain because like the whole point to me of this novel is you know mary shelley's trying to get at are monsters created or you know are people brought up in a way that creates a monster or is it that they're just born that way And obviously, we're still wondering about shit like that with psychology today. But I think the movie taking that direction kind of just sets it up for failure from the get-go. Because in the novel, you're seeing that Frankenstein's monster has no inclination towards good or evil. He's just trying to get by. And he spends time observing this family and wants a family of his own, wants that sense of community. And because people are so freaked out by him, he just starts hating people because no one's ever shown him kindness, you know, starting back from his creator. Yeah, I, I love um, when the monster is talking about how Adam had at least God to talk to. Yeah. And that for for this creature, he had no one and that he was he was left alone and that even his 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 own creator doesn't want to speak to him. And I'm like, damn, that's fucking raw (laughs) yeah and oh since you're talking about the speech i in my audible version it was derek jacoby doing the mon like the narration and when he does the monsters speeches like it's beautiful um but yeah he's got an excellent voice for this and i will say the movie did portray that moment of like innocence leading to something bad happening really well when the monster stumbles upon that little girl and she's Little like, Maria. Yeah, and she's like, come play with me. And they're throwing flowers in the lake and they're floating. And he's like, oh, this is so nice. And then he throws the girl into the lake because he's assuming <laughs> she'll float too. Uh. Um, and like, it's funny, but also like, Jesus Christ, that girl just drowns and he walks away. Like, you know, he's trying to find help. But at the same time, he can't talk. He can't convey anything to people. Um, yeah. And I'm also really impressed at how quick of a drop off there was from the... Uh, from the shore to to the to the to the lake, <laughs> so he just drops her off right there, and bam, she's like gone down like five feet. Um, 
But also, I, I, that's one thing, like, I, I, I have an issue with, uh, like, you know, when the, the, I guess it's the father figure with someone else, that the, the man who found her, and she was drowned, and he's like, oh, she was murdered. I'm like, this is a little kid that was by herself near a lake that didn't know how to swim. How would you know that she was murdered? Yeah. <laughs> and, and also everyone gets up in arms and they automatically know who to look for i get that there's a, there's a bit of a difference in the film and the book where in the book no one knows about the monster except for victor which is also another weird change in the film is that his name's henry and not victor but anyways in the in the film there's a couple of people that know about the monster besides victor and but suddenly the whole town knows and they get up in arms and start rioting and whatnot so that that was to, to, to me really odd and really poor storytelling but i'm also trying to look at the film you know it's a film of its time yeah no you're right and there's that <laughs> there's that funny moment when so it's their wedding day and the dad's also an asshole in the no in the book. I mean, in the movie where he wasn't in the novel, so that was interesting. Like they made this a bit of a daddy issues thing, where like from the get go, Henry's like, my father would never, uh, you know, give anyone credit for their work or whatever. Like he he'll never say he's proud of you. And like then the dad's just like getting everyone drunk, and when his son is found. And, like, the maids are like, give him some of that good wine. He's like, ah, he doesn't get the good wine. He's recovering. I'm going to drink the good wine. And for some reason, that's the scene they close on. And it was weird. But so you've got, like, the whole wedding day. And Elizabeth is freaking out. So he just locks her in the bedroom. <laughs> yes. There's a monster on the loose, babe, here. Stay in this room. <laughs> Which I was really hoping that the monster was going to, like, climb in the window and kill her. Just, like, how, like, because he kills... His his fiance in the book, um, yeah. But yeah, it's a real it's a real shame that didn't happen. Um, also, I, I, because you brought it up, the whole the whole champagne giving people things. I loved when he he gives the servants champagne, but they only get one sip, and then he sends them off. Yeah, he's like, "Now get back to work." <laughs> like, oh, what a fucking dick. <laughs> But yeah, so here's what else is weird. Like, okay, there is a Victor in the movie, though, but it's their friend. It's not mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. scientist. It's a friend. And they also set up this weird-as-fuck dynamic where the friend is trying to get Elizabeth. Or he's, like, flirting with her, and he's like, oh, I wish you did love me back. Because she's engaged to, in the movie, Henry. Yeah. It's really odd. It's a, it's a, some, there's some strange choices. Uh, like, like we said, it's based on the play. So we'll have to read the play to figure out how faithful the movie is to the play. True. <laughs> yeah. One thing that's like, one thing about the book that it's, it's, it's a bit rough and can be hard to get through. And I think it, we, we both listened to an audio, which was actually really nice is there's a lot of Victor, just sort of dialoguing about things and kind of rehashing things at times. Yeah. And one one part that I actually kind of got bored at was a little bit towards the end was him just talking about him traveling through Europe and the mountains. And I'm like, okay, 
Victor, you're having a good time seeing all these things. Um, but it, it doesn't, to me, it didn't really add to the story. Like, I mean, I get that we're supposed to understand that he's traveling, but he kind of goes too much into his travels. Yeah. And um, same thing, like, he, 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 he keeps talking about his... F- and in some ways, like, I, I appreciate him constantly going into, like, his fears. Like, he's, oh, is the monster here? That type of stuff I was fine with. But he kept going a bit too much into his fears of, I guess, the monster killing other people. Like, at that, at that point in the story, we kind of get it. Like, from pretty much, like, the beginning when Justine's killed. Like, he's, he's been talking about his fear of the monster killing people. And... This is like 200 or so pages later, and he's still pretty much saying the same thing. Um, so for me, it was a, there's a bit too much of a rehash in what he says. True. And another thing about Victor's character is he this whole thing is a secret. No one knows but him what he's created. And he tells Elizabeth he'll tell her after they're married. So I'm like, you're going to go ahead and trap her in marriage. And then reveal, by the way, I've created this fiend who might be hunting us down. Um, but we're married now, so you can't run away. But what's mm-hmm. interesting, so like after she dies and he's tracking down the monster to kill him, he goes into this weird sort of thinking where he, as he's finding things to sustain him on his journey... He acknowledges some of it is left by the monster. Like, the monster's kind of showing him that he's been in a place. Like, he'll mark a tree or something. So he knows he's still on the right path. Because at this point, the monster just wants to torture him as long as possible and keep him looking for him. And But Victor goes into this weird thinking of, like, I could tell it was the spirits of my loved ones from beyond the grave sustaining me. <laughs> and it's like, Victor, they're dead. And if they died... And realized what you did. I don't think they're like, oh, leave him some food so he can avenge us. I'd be pretty pissed at you for not saying, by the way, there's a monster that might kill you. Um, Yeah. But that just, I think, kind of keeps diving into the psychosis of someone who's this self-centered. Mm-hmm. Victor's kind of a douche. (laughs) Victor's a douche. He's a big douche. (laughs) Oh. You know what? You know what else is interesting though. The novel has a lot of instances of, and I think this is also indicative of the time. But people are going through, you know, pretty traumatic things, and I guess from the t- thinking back then, like just pure stress could cause illness, which like there is some link towards you know your immune system being lesser. But I've always note noticed this in like old romantic type novels, like people would go through something rough and then they'd faint and then just be ill for a long time because their body just couldn't handle stress. Um, and like, I mean, it works well, but I'm just like, that's not how medicine works. Speaking of things that don't work, you also can't choke someone to death by grabbing the back of their neck, but you know, well, it's Hollywood. I mean, <laughs> oh no. I mean, but this is in the novel too. Like it's just, True. Back then, people wrote very dramatic, like, emotions were felt very strongly and they could cause illness, you know? I mean, to be fair, I mean, stress can cause, you know, 
some illness like heart disease and shit. But I'm just saying, like, someone doesn't die, and then you're, like, bedridden for three weeks with a mysterious illness no one knows. Like, you're running a fever and all of that. Yeah, I wonder if, I mean, you know, because I guess it's the 1800s, and, I mean, hysteria is a thing. So I don't know if that's what she was commenting on or not. Yeah. But do you have any uh, any uh, any other things from the book that you wish you saw in the film? I mean, there's really good creepy moments of, when he first does see the monster, he's, like, traveling back home because his brother Williams died. And there's, like, a good moment where, like, he sees the monster, like, I th- I'm pretty sure on the side of the building. And then he's, like, running off at supernatural speed through the moors. Um, there's just moments of, like, that that are really terrifying. And I wish we saw. Or, you know, like we said, if the monster had had the chance to learn to speak and there would have been this whole discourse that I think is at the root of this novel. I just think it could have been done better. We did get some really nice 1930s sort of vampy looking, I guess, aesthetic. So that was fun. And then like, you know, there's the fact that Victor and Elizabeth are, which is fine. Like they grew up together. So they're kind of, what's weird is they're like kind of refer to each other as cousin growing up. They're not actually cousins, y'all. They just find Elizabeth. That's also, okay, so that's another thing about the novel. They find her in this home when their parents and Victor are traveling on, like, a sort of family trip. And they find her living with this family. And I think she was also poking fun of this sort of thinking at the time, where it's a family of, like, poorer people that take her in. And she was, of course, a noble person's daughter. Because characters that are love interests have to be on par with the person that likes them they both have to be from a you know well-to-do family but mm-hmm. they just said that like they could tell she had different sort of manners around her that she wasn't as rough as the peasants she was living with to be fair i mean if you did grow up in a more educated home the way of talking would be different as well and how one presents themselves especially back then with for, for women But, like, she was also blonde while everyone else had darker hair. Like, there was just this weird sort Uh, of writing about it. Like, oh, here's this angel among rougher people who are darker of complexion and hair color than her. And you're just like, oh, gosh. (laughs) Yeah. But that's why I think she was making fun. Because she's very self-aware the rest of the time. One thing I was actually... This is one thing, like, in the book, I thought... I thought it was going, and I actually wish it did, was when when, for, when the monster kills Elizabeth, I thought they were going to end up using her as the bride for the monster. And I thought that would have been really cool and interesting. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. I just, that's where I was hoping things were going. I wish she died. You wish what? She should have died. I don't know. I think that's a better... I know the movie's not conveying the vengeful nature of the whole story like the book was, but I think Elizabeth dying was the whole point of the deaths and the monster yes. getting back at Victor. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, the, the film, I guess, did what it could for the time. Like, that's, an, that's another thing I, and, and something I don't really know about if a lot of death could be allowed in film back then. I mean, I don't, I haven't watched too many early films. I, I, there's a couple of silent films that I really like, but I don't know if they would have been allowed to do that. And 
if if there's like you know the studio there's so much studio influence on film back then i mean still today but even more so back then i'm just assuming that they weren't allowed to do those kinds of things yeah but you can throw a man off of a windmill and have him his spine <laughs> smash against <laughs> The window, that was which great. Was, it was such a beautiful shot. I was impressed. I was like, "Damn!" That that, they had rough. to have used a dummy for that. There's no way. I don't know. It's 1931. Everyone's a stunt man back then. All right. Seriously, people listening, if you haven't looked up just how they pulled off certain stunts back in the day, it's fucking ridiculous and so impressive. Um, yeah. But. Yeah, no, that was really well done. And I realized then, because I, again, I hadn't seen this movie, like, how much it inspired horror movies in the future. Because that whole mad scientist setup, which also, okay, let's talk about that. Because that's different in the book, Mm -hmm. where he's just, I think, doing these experiments at his medical college after hours when people aren't there. But, like, in the movie, he's, like, fucked off to this sort of fortress. Like an abandoned castle, which I'm like, that place looks sick. I'd live there. Um, and he's got this whole, like, pretty much the origin of the mad scientist set up, where, like, it's isolated, always storming, and, like, you've got this, like, I don't even know what he's doing at the beginning, but they're like, ah, scientists use, you know, different solutions, he's just pouring things into, like, beakers and stuff. (laughs) That Tesla coils, uh, Yeah, and, like, you've got, like, this early sort of, like, lightning galvanism, thing that you see in the future in so many movies and you know and also like i didn't realize i grew up watching like van helsing right which we can talk about you know van helsing's not a good adaptation of a lot of things but it's a fun fucking movie and Mm -hmm. they had borrowed from that whole windmill moment that's how they also start off that movie is with frankenstein's monster but he's holding his creator and like being sad but you have the whole building getting burned um and then, like, the building collapses. So I didn't realize, like, that this is where it all started, is with this one. This yeah, movie. There's, there's a shit ton of adaptions that came after this that are based off of this and not Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Which is really interesting how an adaption can cause so much more influence into our culture than the actual origin. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, I guess we sort of, like dove into that a little bit with like when we were talking with like folklore stuff back in December but it's it's interesting how this is what people think Frankenstein is not Mary Shelley's book because unfortunately people don't read anymore um (laughs) but uh also it's easier to you know I guess watch a hour-long film but yeah, it's 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 like I like I, I think we both agree we would we would love a true adaption of Frankenstein. I don't know if there is one out there. If if someone knows of a closer adaption to Frankenstein, I would please let us know, email us or or message us on Instagram and we would, I would love to check that out. I'm sure Andrea would as well. Yeah. And I mean, or we make it I'm like, like I said, I, I might have to be the one to write up in an adaption strictly from the perspective of the monster because I 
I adore that speech. And, you know, sometimes long speeches and, and books suck. I'm, I'm looking at you, John Galt, you motherfucker. <laughs> Fuck off, Ayn Rand. Um. Okay, so it's funny you brought that up because that was yeah. also what I was thinking of when modern works, the attractive people have to be the good people. Ayn Rand is very guilty of the hot people are the characters that like she likes. They're good all around. They're smart. They're capable. They're self-sufficient capitalists who are fucking stinking attractive too. Um, I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> we'll have to do. Uh, we'll have to do Ayn Rand someday. No. I know there's. No, we won't. <laughs> not. If someone gives us like ten grand, we'll do it. <laughs> no, I'll. I'll. I'll do it. I just. Those are long books to be dedicating myself to rereading it would I don't be a whole s- fucking month of iron Rain. oh my god no and then suddenly the rnc is gonna give us money to continue <laughs> i mean money's money um anyways back to frankenstein um i i mean i, I think i heard that there, there was what uh the adaption with daniel radcliffe was pretty good i think that one was straight up called victor frankenstein or something um, oh, okay cool cool I, I think i've heard that one is a good adaption but i think it's still i think it's a mixture of the book and the frankenstein of pop culture that everyone knows so i i don't know i just remember hearing from someone that they enjoyed that one and um but yeah it's it's, it's a this is a weird one to talk about because of it, it's 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 very drastically different but at the same time it's such a pop culture thing that everyone knows about um, yeah for the most part and i will say so oris karloff did a fucking phenomenal job of playing the monster like mm-hmm. his slow movements when he's like first kind of walking around that was really good and like i think even though he's not talking he's emoting really well and i mm-hmm. love that <laughs> I love that, the little details they had. So, like, you know, he's a... Frankenstein's monster is patched up with different parts of different people. So he's he does have the, the scars and, like, the, the stitches. But I love the fact that the only jacket they could find for him was too small. So he's got, like, a good, like, <laughs> half-foot gap between his wrist and where the jacket ends. <laughs> yes. I love yes. that. <laughs> it's, a, uh... And to be honest, like... You know, in comparison to the book, I feel like the the the, the film monster honestly isn't uh, freaky enough looking. Like I'm like, you know, I feel like I've seen some, you know, people that that look similar to to Frankenstein's monster. It's just sort of like you know, he, he all he has is a very like large forehead <laughs> and kind of a bad haircut. <laughs> um, to be fair, like he's not as hideous as. The, I feel like the monster should be. Yeah. Um, but I do. I'm not gonna lie. I still love. I still like this film. I I I'm a sucker for some early film, and I I just sort of. Just, I just think they're precious. No, it's it's really fun. I I enjoyed the actual film a lot. It's just I would want a very true to the scary nature of the story adaptation someday. But the All right, Andrea, beautiful. we're writing it together. We're taking two weeks. We're locking ourselves in a house. We're writing up in an adaption. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, like, from the first scene, you've got, like, the family 
mourning someone as they're being buried and you're sitting here realizing this is a set and wondering how they got all that goddamn dirt <laughs> into the set to like yes. make it look like a graveyard like it's it's stunning um mm-hmm. there's an interesting thing i read a long time ago where it was saying that looking at mon- uh, vampire stories specifically that they've been indicative of whatever society fears at the time so as the vampire stories evolved you see a change and I actually think this also applies to Frankenstein's monster. So, like, I'm going to give examples. Like, early, early vampire folk stories, people didn't have mm-hmm. electricity. And I don't know if you've ever gone somewhere truly rural without electricity. Like, not even just camping, but when I've gone back home in Romania and, like, the villages where my family's from, at night, it's fully fucking dark. There is no light whatsoever. And so yeah. you, when you hear noises at night there, it kind of hits different because you're like... This is the most pitch black I've ever seen. And so you've got a lot of fear of just the unknown and like literally things that go bump in the night. And so I think as society got more advanced, you've got around the time these stories came around. And I think what Mary Shelley was hitting on is there was a lot of fear of science really taking off and what the capabilities of science are. And I think that's carried through to today. And that's why we have stories like Westworld and things with AI of, like, we don't know the repercussions of the science we're involved in. And this example also went as far as to talking about Twilight, which I'm going to say, I think Twilight hit at a weird time where people are very obsessed with youth culture, and that's why you've got these hot young vampires in high school, and also, like, all these middle-aged women sexualizing a high school-age vampire. I think part of it is they're just romanticizing youth and it's but it's come off in a super creepy way of like you've got 40 year old women just simping on this character and it's just weird um i think you i think you hit a a strong nail on society today i think we do romanticize youth a lot and i and i don't know what that's really saying about us as people um i know like David Foster Wallace, he, he, he writes on it and has, has, has mentioned it a lot about how it seems, and I feel like we're getting off topic a little bit, I, I might be taking us a little off, off topic, is how adults are becoming harder to deal with adulthood and are basically, like you, like you mentioned, romanticizing youth and trying to stay young forever. And part of that is... I think part of it is our our capitalistic society that's always trying to sell a product to keep people young. And so now we have a huge fear of getting older, which maybe humans always have had a fear of getting older. I don't know. I've always kind of I've always kind of looked forward to getting older. <laughs> but well, no, I don't think you're that off topic on cuz I think that's been the appeal of vampires from the get-go. Like yes, they're scary and they rely on blood to live, but they also do get that benefit of you're just always going to look young. So mm-hmm. kudos you. And, you know, they don't get ill. That's the other thing. When you're a vampire, you don't have to deal with illness anymore. And I think and you don't have to deal with the fucking sun. Yeah. And I know we're talking about vampires and not where and like, you know, not Frankenstein's monster, but like monster stories from the get go. They've had that common thread where you are dealing with a root fear society has and I think as those stories evolve, like we've gotten some really good. We recently saw The Invisible Man, 
which was really cool because you've adapted this old story of, again, the fear of, like, what if people do get the chance to be invisible? How scary would that be? And you've kind of brought it to modern times and talked about abusive relationships. So, I don't know. I'm really curious to see where kind of horror goes in the future, but I do think it's interesting how it's just always been something that we can all identify with. Right. Welcome to my thesis on monster stories. I no, I, I, lo- I love it. I, I, uh, there was a class that I took in, in college, and it was actually a lady who very much, um, who, who, who basically wrote a book and dived really into why Slender Man became like a phenomena, like a horror phenomena. And part of like the, the theory is that people, people started fearing um, businessmen. And that because the, the way that Sunderman dresses is very business like he's wearing a suit, a tie, um, but he has no face. And he, it's just sort of like this creepy crawly uh, thing that's sort of like invades uh, is invading the woods, but it doesn't belong in the woods because why is something dressed like that there? It's sort of it's sort of like people's fear of, I guess, the way that capitalism is going with what she was going into it about. Um, but it was it was just sort of adding on to what you've said about how whatever the modern fear is is what the monsters we create yeah no you're right but yeah i really recommend people should try out this book and it's just a a great story and it's spooky and good job mary shelley you really showed those dudes although also Mm -hmm. i i did mess up because when i was kind of looking it up as we were talking Lord Byron didn't actually complete his assignment. He just wrote some stories that the vampire ended up being based off of. So we don't have to blame him for romantic vampires. It was um, actually John William Polidori. So I have a fucking bone to pick with him. No, but <laughs> we could cover vampire stories at some point. Like That would be also interesting if we just kind of tracked vampire stories through time. Um, I'm down for that. And I guess then we'd have to cover Twilight. Like, whatever. It's fine. We'll do it. We can roast it's it. Gotta be done. It's, it's not like we'll we haven't roasted do... things before. We'll only do the first book. I mean, we, if we're doing vampires, we can technically do I Am Legend. Oh, bro, what's up? That's true. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty COVID-related. Yep. I know. That's why there's all this fear of the vaccine. I'm like, if I turned into a zombie, that'd be a pretty sick way for the story to go. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's Frankenstein and our uh, discussion on monsters. I I will recommend the film as well. Um, I know you recommend the book. I also recommend the book, but I recommend the film. It's like, go watching it. You know, it's a 1931 film. It's going to take only a little over an hour of your time. But and you get to see great stage um, setup, great stage makeup. Because back then, I'm pretty lighting. sure they were all still doing their own makeup, which is insane. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You get to see some fun German folk dancing. Mm-hmm. You get to see a girl get dropped in a lake. Yeah, you see a little girl die. <laughs> so that's fun. <laughs> Always a good time. But, uh, yeah, so uh, so what are, we, uh, what are we doing next week, Andrea? Um, next week... Oh, God, we're going into actual children's story month? Mm-hmm. Shit, which one's first? Let's do Coraline. What the fuck? Yeah. I'm we're going to do down Coraline. Coraline. I, love Cor- I love the book. I love, I love the, the, the movie as well because I'm a sucker for stop animation and anything done by Leica Studios. 
So, yes, I'm so up for Coraline. Awesome. So, yeah, join us then. Thanks, everyone, for listening once again. And uh, if you want to join us, please read Coraline or at least watch the film. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye. Must be found! Yeah.